last week, we um, see our father, and that's actually one of the names for it as well. Uh, and we're going to be continuing, we're going to do part two of that today, uh, and so you can be tuning in to your rote memory for Our Father as we begin today. Let me gather my materials, which are right here. And I have some exciting news for you. <coughs> Before we pray, uh, I told you that our printer got over its sickness because you saw the cover. But I notice it has a lingering problem. I guess we have to give it another sinus pill or something, because if you look at the monthly expenses, it says June giving 199. Oh, I forgot to correct that. And now, now, add a four, <laughs> June, just add a four, that's all. So it was just a slight hiccup on the part of the printer. Uh, no staff involvement. Uh, there we are. So you know, I just wanted you to be aware of that. Sorry. That would be that would be in all of the six years we've been here. That definitely would be the lowest giving month of our entire existence. And I'll have to admit, if we had two or three of those, we'd be wondering about are we going to be here next week. So, but anyway, God bless you uh, for your faithfulness in keeping us going uh, for the six years that we've been here. The Lord's Prayer today. So let's pray together. Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you today for that who you are, that who you are to us as individuals, that, we, that who you are to each of us. Not what you are, but who you are. Because it is a personal relationship. It is a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And we thank you and praise you as we go forward today in your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Aren't you proud? I just can do that just off the top of my head. And so can every one of you. Uh, and so that's not what it's about at all, is it? But today we're going to delve in and look at the rest of the prayer. There's going, this is part two of the Our Father, and uh, there's not going to be a part three. Uh, we'll forge on to the other things that we're going to do. Uh, today we have communion, and the last two months, for some reason, <clears throat> the illness that our printer had, I must have, because Shirley had to do all kinds of gyrations from the front right here to remind me that this table is set and that we're actually doing something else today. And uh, and I hope that that won't be necessary today. All the way to the end of our time together today, I will have in mind that we have this to do. And I don't want you to think in terms of it being just something we have to do, but it's something that we have the opportunity 
of doing because it's so very, very important. And we'll talk about that uh, when we get there. Quick reminder, our Father in Heaven. So that first phrase in the prayer uh, that we're looking at today uh, speaks in terms of exactly who we are praying to. Our Father in Heaven. And we discussed uh, who that Father is. That Father is the all-important one. Uh, that Father is the Father that delivers us. It's our Father in Heaven. It's not our Father on Earth, although He is here with me in spirit on Earth, but it's talking about my Father in Heaven. Most of us, or some of us, can say, well, we, my Father was... Uh, uh, I have three fathers, uh, 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 and that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about the faithful one, the faithful father, our father in heaven. That's who we are praying to, and that's kind of in review of what we uh, of what we talked about. And then the next phrase, hallowed be thy name, or holy be your name, if you want to do it in some of the other versions. I'm a King James person, so get used to it. Uh, hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy. You are holy. All of you is holy. From the very beginning until the very end, and I'm talking now in, in the fact that at the end of Scripture, we see that you are a holy God, that you are holy, that you are without blame, that you are without sin. And we don't understand that. Being, un, being without sin, we do not understand. Oh, we might cognitively understand the word, but it is not in our psyche. There's not a single one of us in the room that understands from an experiential standpoint being without sin. Give it a break. What were you like before, before Christ, B.C. and then A.D. in the year of our Lord? Uh, and we have God that is faithful in all things. Prayer is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because God sent His Son. We'll call Him a messenger. Not a problem with that. Jesus came as a messenger. He lived on this earth for 33 years or so, give or take. <clears throat> Excuse me and provided himself as a living example and a messenger of the Father that sent me. I'm kind of paraphrase quoting our Lord Jesus Christ even as I speak now. Uh, names linked to God. Who is this Holy One? He is peace. He is rest. He is contentment. He is righteousness. That kind of jumps back to what? the sinless idea. Righteousness. Scripture has told us, he's reminded us, hey, our righteousness, your righteousness, my righteousness, is a filthy rag. Filthy rag. What do you do with filthy rags? When the rags have outlived their usefulness, what do you do with them? You throw them away. I don't know if you recycle them or not. Which trash can do they go in? That's 21st century talking now. But we throw them away. And we get a new one. Are you ready to be thrown away? Is God going to throw you away? Of course not. 
God doesn't isn't in the business of throwing away. God is in the business of redeeming, righteousness, sanctified, he heals, he provides, and we'll talk about that in, the, in a moment or two. He's the captain of our destiny. He's the shepherd. Think in terms of the shepherd. Look at the 23rd Psalm. Read Philip Keller's book on what the 23rd Psalm is talking about, and he really lays out a beautiful picture of what a shepherd is to a sheep. And I'm talking physically now. And we call Jesus the great shepherd. But, and we are the sheep. We, the people, are the sheep. And we are there for him. He is our shepherd. <coughs> he maketh me to lie down and still, by still waters, etc. <coughs> I'm having something in my throat right now. <coughs> Hallowed be your name. And then we come to thy kingdom come. Your kingdom come, the scripture says. And we recite this prayer from memory. And unfortunately, sometimes memory becomes automatic. Memory becomes rote. Memory becomes, I might as well just push the button on the, on the recorder and the recorder will play it for me. I don't have to say it. I recorded it down so I'll, you can hear my voice and I'll, and I'll play it for you. I've got CDs for the last hundred messages that I've preached here. You don't want me standing in front of you? You can listen to a CD and you'll hear my voice. This is, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way. You'll have to hear my voice. Put it that way. But kingdom come. That means what? That means God is king. Now understand, here we go. Those words that are used in a physical sense have a spiritual connotation. So if we talk about kingdom, and we talk, talk about God being our king. What is a king? Now go back to the, to the days when kings were really kings, and kings had real power. They had the power, what, of life and death. God has that power, doesn't he? God has that power. And in a spiritual sense, the wages of sin is death. But, the gift of God is eternal life. There's that life and death right there in that one verse. It speaks in terms of the power. His kingdom. Your kingdom come. Are you the king of my life? Are you the king of my life? Are, do I pay, pay homage to you in the same way in which I would be bowing to uh, to king whoever, the ruler of my country, and I don't want to get. I'm not going to be political today. I won't. I hope. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> there we are. So it's within us. The kingdom of God is within you. Luke chapter 17 says it's a priority over everything else. Matthew chapter 6 says, "But first ye seek." His kingdom and His righteousness. And then what? All of these things will be added unto you. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom. God's kingdom. That's the kingdom we're talking about. And if we are talking about your kingdom, then what's your name? You must be king. You must be king. Grab a hold. Look at that, look that word up in the dictionary. See what the word king 
originally meant, the power that is that rests in the hand of the king. The power. All encompassing power. Ephesians chapter 1 says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, he's talking about Paul is talking to you, the Christians, reaching out and touching others. About what? About the very kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. People becoming Christians. Their love for fellow Christians. And we just shared that today about Bill Reed. About, take a look at the back of the bulletin. All those people praying for them. Praying for them. Being there for them. And that prayer very very frequently goes beyond mere words. Because once we pray, actually it helps us put our hearts in, in the proper place, and then we can do what? We can actually do something. James says that faith without works is dead. You know, I pray for your daily bread, and we haven't got there yet. Uh, I can pray for your daily bread all day uh, and not give you a loaf of bread. Not give you a ham sandwich. Bologna uh, sandwich. Yeah, I got to look for my staff. My staff sits in the front row. He's my adjunct staff, because he's not here every week. Anyway, what goes on? And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Connect that to thy kingdom come. I pray not only for your, your kingdom I want your kingdom to be here. I want your kingdom to be here. But I want your will. I want all of us to succumb to your very power. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I will obey the Ten Commandments. I'll use that as the example at this point. In order that I might have a fruitful life. I will follow your leading. I will be a faithful follower of you. You understand what follow means? Think of it in the very physical sense. If you follow me, follow me, and I'll show you where that room is down the hall. That means you're behind me, and I'm leading you so that you don't get lost in the labyrinth that's laying before us. I know the way, and you don't. That's following, isn't it? And Jesus says, follow me, and I will show you the path. I will show you the way. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Romans chapter 12 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Conformed by the trans by the renewing, tra- pardon me, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that what it is? Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what you did? You took that step of faith? You sat where you sat, or you kneeled where you knelt, or you whatever wherever posture you were in, when you finally realized, whoops, I better pay attention to God. And as I pay attention to God, that's going to transform my mind. Now I'm thinking about God, and I guess I will start following him, I guess I will start transforming my thinking. I will no longer be thinking of the things of this world, but the things of that world. 
and the things of this world, and we don't even want to talk about the things of this world today, it's absolutely sick out there. And I'm not talking politics. And that wasn't a political statement. It was not. Think about it. I mean, think of all, think about all the nastiness that's going on. We'll just stay, we'll just stay with the nasty, okay? Uh, well, that could be political too. No, we won't go there. Anyway, you got the idea. The trans, the transforming of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God. Now, if you're focused on the things of this earth. If you're thinking about the earth, then you're not thinking about God. You're not thinking about what's going on, what God would have you to do. What is God's plan for your life? At this stage of our lives, all of us in this room, if we don't know what God's plan for our life is today, we have not been paying attention. You have not been paying attention to whoever has been staying up here sharing with you the Word of God for all of these years, all of those messages that you've heard on the radio, on television, Jerry Falwell with the Old Time Gospel Hour, all of that, all of that is feeding you with what God would have you do in His kingdom. My will be done, or your will be done, if your will is to be done, who has been called to do it? I know that's a tough question. Let's see. No. Yeah. No, all of us. It's it. And unfortunately, when all of us in the human, when it's all of us, well, I'll let her do it. Nobody will know. She'll do it. It'll get done. And I can just sit here and watch the TV program. And of course, that's not what we're talking about. Because God has an individual relationship with you. With you. God has an individual relationship with you. And His will, when we pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, think about what it is in heaven. God says, angel number 77... Do it. And it's done. That make sense? And guess what happened to the, to the, we'll call them the black angels, okay? What happened to the black angels? They got kicked out of heaven. That's what happened. Understand? We can go on. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the next phrase. Give us today our daily bread. And we think in terms of manna immediately. God rained manna down on the uh, the Jews in the wilderness. Uh, they were wilderness wandering as a punishment. What could they not do while they were wandering? Grow crops. That's what they couldn't do. And so what did God do? God rained, rained down manna. Wherever they were, Manna came down. Did manna come down in, uh, we'll say, in Coachella after the Israelites got to Indio? No, it rained down in Indio. And then it rained down in Palm Desert. And then you got the idea? Where you were, that's where God provided for you. Because why? Because you could no longer grow crops. Simple as that. Think about it. Providing for a need. 
providing for need. Give us today our daily bread. But daily bread talks about more than just food. Because scripture what? Tells us what? Man may not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And what is that? That's this. That's this Bible. God tells us that we need to be as faithful to reading, meditating upon, studying this as we are to jumping for Wonder Bread and Bologna. No, salami. <laughs> Liverwurst? No. You should see my staff at that one. Liverwurst. Oh my God. Daily bread has to do with a whole cadre of needs. Okay? A pair of shoes so that, my, uh, so that I can walk on the hot pavement. You know, whatever it is. Daily needs. Let me tell you something. We already told you how horrible our first week was in, uh, in our vacation. We were having a horrible vacation and our daily needs were provided for. Nobody gave us any food. Nobody gave me a new suit or a new tie. No one gave me any of those things. But we had a specific need that we weren't even asking for. We were just sharing our horrible day with somebody that we knew. And that somebody we knew immediately reached out and provided the need that we were looking for. That's daily bread. Now, so who gives daily bread? Give us today our daily bread. We received in that first week, we received manna from heaven. Now, how is that? Well, God's love has rained down upon us and upon the people that we are talking about at this particular moment to the point that their hearts were open enough that they were willing to reach out and give to us something that they had earned in order that we might continue to do whatever it is we needed to do. that make sense? So it isn't just, well, I, I, I gave the veteran on the corner a dollar. Or we went into Burger King and we got our burgers and we carried out a burger and said, uh, if you're hungry here, you can eat. You know, that, 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 is that daily bread? Sure it is. We're talking about a whole cadre of other things. This is also daily bread. And my suggestion to you is, is if you are not providing in equal measure this daily bread to people that are sorely in need of it, you're letting them starve. Aren't you? You're allowing them to possibly waste away and die. Aren't you? If I have the power to share with you the cure for sin, the cure for eternal death, and I don't, what's God's will for our life? Give us today our daily bread in order that we might give that daily bread to others. The people that I was talking about in our lives two weeks ago have received the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And because they had that love and it manifests in their life, they were willing to do what they did for us. And we're not special. I mean, we are special to them. But they have other people that are special to them too. That's the way these people are. Give us today our daily bread. And we always think in terms of the physical when we come to the bread and we forget the verse. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. God's word. God's word should be your daily bread. God's word should be your daily bread. Where am I? Forgive us to resolve and forgive us. Okay, now I've preached a series on forgiveness. Forgiveness is not complete reconciliation necessarily. Forgiveness is your ability to say you slapped me and you shouldn't have and I'm not holding it against you. I mean, that's kind of where we are, right? I'm not just waiting. Your turn's coming. You will get your slap back, but you don't know when. I want to surprise you. That'll make it even better. That's not what it is, is it? Forgiveness is your ability in God's love to not hold that person guilty. I forgive you. I preached the message and talked about reconciliation in family and someone came up to me after and said, well, I can't forgive them until they confess their sins to me, their sins against me, da-da-da-da-da-da, and they turn over a new leaf. Then I can forgive them. Well, Let's go back a second. Um, God stands before you and says, I'm ready to forgive you. But we've got to clean up your mess. And so you're going to have to do this and this and this and this, and even some of that, and even some more of this, in order that I can forgive you. As soon as you've got all of that done, and isn't that the way most of us have felt before we understood what grace was about? It's the way I, I felt. Hey, when I, when I come to God, I'm going to quit doing this and this. I'll quit, you know, I know that's sin, and I'll quit doing it. And then, then I can... But that's not it at all. Just as you are. The song says, just as you are. That's Billy Graham's favorite song. Just as you are. Without one plea in Jesus is willing to forgive you. And that's what we are to do. Forgive us as also we have forgiven those that do what? That sin against us, that trespass against us, whatever word you like. I love the word trespass. It's just a beautiful word. So there we are. There's that sin thing. Charles Stanley did a wonderful thing on forgiveness. It's a poor message series. You ought to get the tape. And I'm not selling Charles Stanley today, but Charles Stanley talks about what unforgiveness does to you. 
it hurts. Every time I think of that person, I get all sick inside and I remember what he did to me and and I'm ready to pick up a gun and do it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to do it. I'm going to... And that's because I haven't been able to forgive. And that's happened in my family. That's happened to me. I've had a sister that I wouldn't speak to for 10 years. Uh, and every time somebody mentioned her name, oh, do you have to talk about her in my presence? That's terrible. That hurt me. Upset my day. Stop talking about it, then I'll be fine. That's not what we're supposed to do. Okay, forgive us, as we've also been forgiven. And lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. He doesn't lead us into temptation. He just doesn't. There's no temptation in God. God is there for you. God is there in His righteousness for you. Temptation comes from uh, the other side. And I'll try to remember what his name is. You can figure it out for yourself. That's where the temptation comes from. And the problem that exists is your fleshly nature, free choice, has the opportunity to succumb to temptation. But God, in his infinite grace, has always provided an avenue of escape from temptation. Now, I've said this before. When I'm tempted, I very frequently turn to a hymn, a song, a chorus. <clears throat> because the words are so, are so relevant. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's the chorus. Aren't you glad I quoted it and didn't sing it? You'll thank me later when you hear me sing. Uh, not today. I'm not singing today. But there it is. What is turn away? Turn away from that sin. You turn away from the sin. You turn away from the temptation. Samson was an idiot. Delilah, I mean, she had temptation dripping out of her pores. And Samson came coming back for more. What an idiot. What a fool. Well, we don't want to spend any more time there. Lead is not a temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that is exactly what he does. That's exactly what he does. And how does he do that? He does that by our being here, by our understanding what prayer is all about. It, going back to that verse I just quoted, that chorus I just quoted, turn from the things of this world and turn back to him. Turn back to him. Deliver us from the evil one. And then it goes on to say, and I love this, Matthew, I don't know why Luke didn't do it, but Matthew said, for <coughs> yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, and I love the next word, for 
forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that cool? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that is perfect transition to this. The wages of sin is death. This cup on our table represents the wrath of God. And your sin just makes the wrath of God just overflow and it pours out and makes a mess of the tablecloth and it's just absolutely disgustingly terrible. And if you want to know how terrible His wrath can be, read Revelation. It's it. It's there. Read about the uh, tribulation period. That's the wrath of God. The angels are the, are the horsemen of the apocalypse and so on. Just read Revelation and we'll do a series of Revelation one of these days. <clears throat> but Jesus, when He was at Gethsemane, said, let this cup pass from me. He was speaking in terms, He didn't want to do what was going to happen tomorrow. And he was basically saying, is there a plan B? Mike loved to talk about plan B. There was no plan B. No, there was no plan B. Jesus knew there was no plan B. He was just hoping that while you went up there and I've been down here, did you cook up a plan B? Uh, I'm being silly. There's only one way. The only way to reconcile you to you, Father, is for me, Jesus, to do what you have sent me to do tomorrow. We've talked about this at Easter. Jesus' entire purpose on this earth was Calvary. Bethlehem had no meaning. Turning water into wine had no meaning. All of the miracles that were performed on earth, feeding the 5,000, none of that really has meaning. What has meaning is what Jesus did on Calvary for you, and then the proof of that meaning is when He was resurrected from the dead, and He now sits at the right hand of the Father, and He knew all of that stuff. What He was able to do then with this this cup of wrath, was turn it over. No wrath. The wrath of God does not exist towards you because of me. Because of me. And so when we take the bread, Joe, would you come and help me? Uh, as we take the bread, and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you, and he says, this is, the, this is the New Testament, the New Covenant that is written in my blood. This do in remembrance of me. So let's go back. The power, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And this speaks of everything that we talked about in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, how will it be thy name? 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in my life, that's what's going on right now. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forget, and so on and so on. In order that we might remember you, you've even given us this to do. My prayer right now is as we're passing the elements, and we'll do that while I'm talking. I don't know if I can pass elements and talk at the same time. Notice Joe does a great job, but he doesn't talk. So, uh, But your mind, where should your mind be right now? Your mind should be on what these symbols represent. Not is this really the blood? Which part of, is this part of his leg bone or part of his arm bone? This bread that we're eating? No. It speaks of the sacrifice. It speaks of the sacrifice. Who sacrificed? His sacrifice. For who? For you. For me. For us. It's our sacrifice. And it's so personal. He did it for me. He did it for Martin Robert Hubbard. This is my body, Jesus said, given for Martin Robert Hubbard. This cup. The New Testament in my blood. Testament means promise. This is redemption. This is salvation. This is meant for you, Martin Robert Hubbard. And we got to back up and remind you. Stick your name in there instead of mine. Because that's what it's all about. It's for us. And so as we eat and as we drink, excuse me, we do this in remembrance of Him. So we eat and we drink. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine art, the kingdom, and power, and glory forever. And I'm going to be with you forever. And all of God's people said,